Romans chapter number three. We're gonna uh, we're sitting here in verse 22, 23, 24, and and 25. Uh, let's start reading in verse 21 again. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And uh, we, we looked at those three verses last time. We saw the issue there of it's not a different righteousness, it's now the but now revelation of the righteousness. If you look down at verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and justifier. But if you look at verse 25, the middle of that verse, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past. And we'll get into that verse uh, probably next time. But, uh, but when we come down through verse 22, 23, we, we begin to see the, where God has told man, be quiet, just shut up and listen to me. I have a remedy for you. I have an out for you. I have something here for you. And then in verse 24, being justified freely by his grace to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Now, that begins the mechanics of how he's able to do what he's going to do. But before we look at the mechanics, there, there's, a, there's a question that comes up in that how can Jesus Christ be our propitiation? Don't you know he's just another man? So how can God, how can being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in who? Christ Jesus, whom then God set forth to be a propitiation, that fully satisfying payment, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believe in Jesus. Wherein is boast, how can God the Father place his faith in the blood, the propitiation of Jesus Christ. And that is the issue that kind of sometimes comes up. And it's because of verse 22 in that phrase, the faith of, by faith of Jesus Christ. So I just want to spend this morning looking at that issue of the faith of Jesus Christ. Because that is the reason, that expression... Seven times Paul uses it. We looked at them last time. Here in Romans, over in Galatians 2, then over in Ephesians, and then over in Philippians and so forth. So that expression, the faith of Jesus Christ, is how and why, understanding that is how these mechanics that we're going to study in verse 24 and 25 can operate, can function. Because it's not our faith. Our, we've, our, we've just been declared guilty sinners. We've just been declared dirty, rotten, no good scoundrels. And now the, the, the faith of God is resting in the, the work of his son. But don't you know his son was just another man? See, that, that issue comes up when you begin to talk about Jesus Christ, about, wait a minute, <laughs> it, 
he was just a good guy, don't you know? That's what everybody says. He's just another prophet. And, and in reality, he's not. He, he is the Son of God. And, it, and that issue of the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, your Greek lesson here for the next 30 seconds, okay? The, the new Bibles move that faith of to faith in, okay? And when you talk about the faith of... In, in the Greek, it is a subjective genitive. That's that phrase. In other words, it speaks about the subject possessing the faith. Who's the subject? Jesus Christ. And what does he possess? Faith. So Jesus Christ is expressing faith in someone or something. That's the subjective. Faith of. The faith in is uh, if it's not subjective then it's what objective duh that's pretty easy isn't it objective genitive that is that there, that is the expression of our faith in an object you have faith in that pew holding you you do you you just came in you you didn't even think about it and you sat down see so that's now who is our object Jesus Christ is so we're going to have faith in who? In his faithfulness. And, and that really, and what happens in the, in the Greek game and what happens in, really in the argument and theology is they come in and they say, well, is it really objective genitive or subjective genitive? And they start playing all these goofy, you know, uh, word games with you. And they get into the semantics of everything. But yet when you just come to Scripture... <laughs> The English King James Bible, <laughs> you real quickly can see how the scripture is going to demonstrate that there's a difference between in and of, faith of and faith in. And I'll be honest with you, it is good news to understand that our redemption and the mission of redemption hinges upon not on our faithfulness, but rather in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And he literally goes to Calvary. He literally leaves, I mean, I think about, the, he, we're going to see it here in a minute in Philippians, but he, he leaves the third heaven. He, he, he leaves that sanctuary of the Father, the, the, the Godhead's love for one another, and he comes down here to old stinking earth, to the dregs of, of it all, sin pot, sin cursed. And he does it, he does it willingly, he does it of a free will choice, of his, of his own choice to do it. And he, when he comes though, he comes and he literally demonstrates faith on our behalf. That verse hang on the back of the wall there, Galatians 2.20. When it says, I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, that issue of how, how did he live? How did he live? Well, when he was on the earth, what did he do? He lived in total and complete dependence upon the word and the will of the Father. So what Christ did... Adam was the first man, right? What was the Lord? 
He's the last Adam, isn't he? He came and demonstrated for man what God, the Godhead, had wanted man to be doing all along, which was living in obedience to the word of God. You see, when, and when you begin to kind of, it's, it's a hard thing to do, understand what's going on here, then his faithfulness, our faith rests in his faithfulness to then go and die at Calvary and do what was required of him to do by the word, the will, the plan, the purpose of the Father. And that's a tremendous thing. And by the way, this is a now we know. This is a but now thing. This is a thing that no one ever has talked about until we come to the Apostle Paul. Because that phrase, faith of Christ, faith of Jesus Christ, faith of the Son of God, never existed before Paul. It shows up now. Look at chapter 3. Just notice from Scripture this issue about the faith of. And uh, I, I'm not, you know, the Greek lesson is over. <laughs> but the thing of it is, is just notice this. Look at uh, Romans 3, verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The word of God was given to them. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the, notice, faith of God without effect? Note the faith of God. Talking about God's faithfulness. And his faithfulness is tied to the oracles of God, to his word. But notice what it says there. For if what, what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make his faithfulness without effect? The answer to that is no. That's why verse 4, God forbid. Regardless of whether man believes or not, God is going to be true to himself, no matter what man does. And that issue of faith of, come over to Romans 4. Romans 4. That it, the faith of, just kind of get an idea here. Faith of. Romans 4, verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the, prom, in the beginning of that verse is so wonderful. <laughs> it, it kicks that issue of adding works to it right in the teeth. If it's not of faith, then what is it not of? Grace. See? That's out of Romans 11, verse 6. Works and grace don't mix. That's why today, in the age of grace, if you are working to get saved or working to stay saved, you're in, a, you're, in a, you're, you're in unbelief. Because what does the verses say? It's by faith. It's a faith that it might be of what? Grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of, now watch, the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Notice that faith of Abraham. Talking about Abraham's what? Faithfulness. Now Abraham's faithful. He, Abraham has faith. If you look back at verse 3. For what saith the scripture? Abraham, what? Believe God. 
and it was counted unto him for righteousness. You see, Abraham had faith in what God's word was to him back there in Genesis 15 when he told him he was going to have a seed, he was going to have a boy, Isaac. So there's an issue of faithfulness. And there's an issue of the, this faith of Jesus Christ. Now, what happens? Come over to Romans 8. What happens when you begin to talk about Christ's faithfulness? And did he, he, he had to have faith. He had to believe in someone else. Then everybody starts going, whoa, wait a minute. You're attacking his deity because don't you know he's God? Well, no, duh. But he's also what? Man. You see, he's 100% God, yet he had to believe in order to be 100% humanity. And that's where the rub begins. And that's where the, the, oh my goodness, you're denying this or that. And I'll be honest with you, to deny his humanity is just as dangerous as to deny his deity. He, he walked in both realms. He's still God. He's in possession of all of the attributes of deity, but yet at the same time, he's, a, he's fully man, so he's in possession of all the attributes of humanity, yet without sin. <laughs> okay? So, and that's why I said a minute ago, when he comes in his earthly ministry and he's doing what he's doing for, for the nation of Israel and the little flock and all of that, but when you step back and you begin to look at how he operated, he gets down on his knees and he washes the apostles' feet. Okay? You remember this, that scenario? And Peter naturally, oh, well, wait a minute, I should be washing your feet. And he goes, no, I'm here to teach you how to be a servant. See? Being a servant is one of the attributes of deity. The Godhead serves each other spontaneously without even thinking about it. The Father glorifies the Son, the Son, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Son, the, the Son, the Father. It's all just this rotation constantly. So when we begin to look at these verses moving forward now, we're not attacking his deity nor minimizing his humanity. But rather, we're recognizing that when Paul says the faith of Jesus Christ, the faith of Christ, the faith of the Son of God, he's talking about not only who he is, but what he accomplished in being in obedience to the word and the will of the Father. It's a big, and, but yet for you and I, like Galatians 2.20, we come to it and we say, you know what? I'm to live my life the same way he lived his life, which is in complete and total dependency upon the, the word of God to me, because that's what he did to him. You follow that? All right, Romans 8. <clears throat> the evidence of Scripture, verse 35, Romans 8, 35, the evidence of Scripture will show that the Lord had faith. He had, he, he did believe, and as we begin to look at who he believed and what he believed, it's real clear that he had faith. And faith is a part of the equation. Romans 8, verse 35. Who, 
shall separate us from the love of Christ. Again, whose love? Not our love for Christ, but his love for us. The love of Christ. If you drop down to verse 39. The end of that, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love towards us. But where is his love in? Or who is his love in? Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? So if we're in Christ, then guess what we're the subject of, of as well? His love. Just, again, the love of. Come back to chapter 5 of Romans. And we, we could do this all day through the book of Romans, this issue about the love of and the faith of. Romans 5, verse 19 for as by one man disobedience, many were made sinners. So who was that? Adam. So by the, now notice that, obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Who's that? There's Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, right? So now we have, not only do we have a faith of and a love of, but now we have an obedience of. His obedience his obedience to who, though? See, he, the faith of, having faith in someone or something else, expressing that. Well, here's obedience. But who did he have obedience to? It wasn't man. It wasn't Adam. Adam's disobedience. That's why you'll hear me say the sin that Adam and Eve had in the garden was one of disobedience. That was their sin. Why? Because 5.19 says it. <laughs> Come over to Philippians 2. So the, this issue of obedience of one. You see, and again, people, oh, no, you're going to kill the deity because how, he's God. He doesn't have, no, he is God, yes. But he had obedience as well. Philippians 2. You got Philippians 2? Run over to Luke 2 just real quick. A little verse stuck in here at the end of Luke 2. Or, I'm sorry, Luke 1 that uh, everybody just kind of glosses over. Luke 1, verse number 80. By the time you get to the 80th verse of Luke 1, you're tired. <laughs> it's like, can we move to chapter 2 now? <laughs> okay. Luke 1, 80, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto... unto See that the child, what, grew and waxed strong? Chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 52, 252. He, just, he, he was just up at the temple. He's been up there, verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. He's up there, he's 12 years old. Verse 42, and what's he do? So from Luke 180 to chapter 2 here, verse 42, it's 12 years have passed in his life, because in Luke 1 he's born. And yet he's, he's growing, he's grew and waxed in the spirit. And he comes along now, he's sitting in the temple, and he's asking the bigwig questions they can't answer. And he's answering questions that they don't, 
Why is that? Well, look at verse 50. And Jesus increased in what? Wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Why is that? He's growing. He's learning, isn't he? But he's God. Hang on a minute. But yet as a man, come up, come back to Philippians 2. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. God has always been there. He's Alpha and Omega, right? Do you think God understands what it is to die? He's never to experience death before. Isn't that interesting? He's experienced all the other emotions of man that man has because he gave them to man. <laughs> Joy, happiness, rejoicing, sad, sorrow, you know, gloom. He, not despair because he's God, but okay. But now he's going to do something that the, that the Godhead has never experienced that he's going to have to learn about. Okay? Philippians 2. Philippians 2 is a great chapter. It's a chapter that helps us to find humbleness and humility. It's a chapter that, that allows us to understand that someone in Scripture, someone that possesses humility, is someone who obeys the will of another. And that's what a humble mind, humbleness of mind. 2 verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Here's the original grace thinker. Here's the original humbler. <laughs> He's, here's the original mind of humility. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Who being, there's his identity. Who is he? He's God. He didn't think anything of it being equal to God. He didn't think he was robbing anything from the other members of the Godhead because he is what? He's God. See? And, and I know what happens. People go, how can you explain what it is to be God? Well, we're all humanity in here, aren't we? But we're all different. So the Godhead has three different members, but they're all still what? God. Just as we look, I look around the room and I say, you're all humanity. But yet we're all different. Sizes, shapes, looks, backgrounds, the whole bit. Verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. I, I love that. He, he is the Son of God. Verse 7. But, uh-oh. Anytime you read a but, you better pay attention. But made himself of no reputation. Do you see that second word, made? That usually just gets read right over when we read and study this passage. Made. But, but, he's God, but he was what? He, but made himself. Something unnatural is happening here. The natural... Him in his natural state is, is what? God. But now he's done something. He made himself. The father doesn't put a gun to his head, doesn't threaten to kick him out of the third heaven. Rather, the son looks at and understands what the father wants to accomplish and decided to make himself of no reputation. 
He made himself into something else. His natural form is God. Now he's going to go and be something else also. I don't know if you've thought, I, I look at that word made and I go, man, that, what, a, what a critical word in that verse. It's just like, hold on here, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Over there where he says that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our natural condition as a man is a sinner. But what did he do? He went in and made something unnatural, didn't he? He gave you his righteousness. <laughs> Philippians 2.7. I got to stay on track or we'll never get done. He made himself. He takes the natural state and he makes it into something else as well. He made himself of no reputation. Philippians 2. Who is he? Verse 10. Verse 9, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's his reputation. But when he was born of Mary and walked the earth, left heaven's glory, came down here to earth, did, did man do those verses to him? Not at all. They mock him, don't they? They scorn him. He's hanging there on the tree, and they say, if you're, if you're the king, come on down. <laughs> Price is right. Let's go. Come on down. And you know what? He doesn't do They don't bow their head to him. They don't exalt who he is. Why? Because he, was, he made himself of no reputation. Is he still God? Yeah. But now he's also something else. He's humanity. Verse 6, verse 7, and took upon him the form of the servant and was made in the likeness of men. Look at what he did. He's the great illustration of a servant. He took, he was made, he you know, people say, oh, it was just God entered into a body. No, Hebrews, you go read down through Hebrews 2 and 3. He didn't just show up in God in a human body. He was what? Made in the likeness. He came and did something different. Verse 8, and being found in, in fashion as a man. Again, he took on Abraham's flesh, Hebrews says. He humbled himself. Look at that. He humbled himself. What does it mean to humble yourself? He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know what it means to humble? He became obedient. That's what it means to humble himself. What he did was he put himself in a position to serve the will of the Father. When he says that he humbled himself, he, he made himself, he does this. Again, the Holy Spirit wasn't saying, if you don't do this, man, we're going to kick you out. He didn't say that at all. He did this. He saw the plan of the Father and said, put me in, coach. Ooh, 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 put me in. <laughs> Let me play. 
When can we get this thing going? I tell you, that meeting back there before the foundation of the world, I think Jesus Christ was like, let's go, man. We've been on the sideline too long. Let's, let's get the... And the Father's like, hold on, slow down, slow down. We've got we to gotta work this thing out. He's excited. He became obedient. I will serve my Father, and I will live out His will, His plan, His purpose. But what did he become obedient to? He became obedient unto death. And when you look at Calvary, what you see is Jesus Christ displaying obedience to the Word of God, to the Word of the Father. That's what you see. When he says there in verse 7, made himself of no reputation... In a free and voluntary act of his own will, Jesus Christ chose the path of obedience to the will and the word of the Father. Nobody was sticking him up. Nobody was threatening him. Nobody had some ugly pictures over here in the closet. None of that stuff. He chose to live in a self-committed dependence to the will and the word of the Father with complete and unconditional trust. And when the Father said, this son is what you're going to do, right? This is what, if you'll do this, then this is what I'm going to do. And that's that issue of resurrection. <laughs> you know what the son said? I trust you, Dad. I trust you, Father. Let's go. Come over to Hebrews chapter 5. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5. On your way, if you stop there in chapter 2. If you look at verse 14, Hebrews 2.14. For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, and that's talking about Jesus Christ, back up in verse 9, also himself likewise took part of the same. Now that's an interesting thing there. We need chapter 5. So he, I didn't finish that verse because we'll come back to it here in just a second, okay? He didn't just show up and enter into a body and go walk stumbling down the street. No, he was born of a virgin. He lived a kid's life. 12 years old, <laughs> he's doing everything, and we see him pop on the screen when he's 30 years old because he's the what? He is the high priest of the order of Melchizedek, and that's what we see here in chapter 5. If you look here at verse number 5, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Look at that. A reference to Jesus Christ, the end of verse 5, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. That, that goes back to the earthly ministry of Christ, those times the Father said that. And you study that out, and he's talking about the issue of resurrection, ultimately. <laughs> See? And in, so Christ came not to stumble. The reason we don't see about the life of Christ up until he's 30 is because it's of no consequence because the Scripture's displaying him as who? 
the high priest of the nation of Israel, of the, of the order of Melchizedek, the true high priest. And a priest's life, you go back and read, the priest's life at 30 begins to publicly minister. Up until 30, he's in training. 30 to 50, they work in the, in the uh, temple. At 50, they retire into eldership, and they become the teachers. See? So they just, here he is, verse 7. Who in the days of his, what? Flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Wait a second. You mean God feared? What did he fear? Death. Isn't that, boy, verse 7 Strong tears and strong cries. He's a man of sorrow, Psalm says. Isaiah says. And what's he worried about? He's worried about death, isn't he? Because what, is all, what does man worry about? As God, he ain't worried about death. But as man, what's he worried about? Death. Because what does man worry about? Death. You don't believe them, just go down to the hospital and the guys on the last bubbles and you'll hear them. What do they fear? Death. But now watch verse 8. Though he were a son, capital S, deity, God, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. What did he learn obedience about? What did he suffer? What did Philippians 2 say? He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, he has to learn obedience. Verse 9, and being made perfect. What are you talking about? God ain't perfect? No. Perfect in what? Mature. Grown up in what? In his learning about obedience about the cross and the plan of the Father. What did he do? And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Hebrews 12. He, he wasn't perfect. Now, this has nothing to do with his character. It has to do with him fearing death. That's the context of the passage there. He's worried about what? Dying. Because he's never experienced it. That's why he says even uh, though he were a son, as God, he has never experienced death. And guess what? As humanity, he's never experienced death yet either. That's in death, the last enemy, the big one, 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. Come back to chapter 2 of Hebrews. You see, folks, the faithfulness of Christ he, he had to learn some things. He had, to lear, he had to learn to have faith in the will and the word of the Father. That's wonderful. Because guess what? We do too. Now, he does it without sin. He does it perfectly, right on the key and everything. But, oh my goodness, not, not a, that's how he can be our propitiation. That's how he can be, that answer in Romans 3. All right, I get ahead of myself there. It gets, 
Got to get excited about this. Chapter 2, verse 12. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Again, talking about Jesus. If you notice there at the end of verse number 9, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. That's what we're dealing with. Verse 12, I will declare in the name of my brethren in the midst of the church, I will sing praises unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. Christ talking here. By the way, he's talking about resurrection. To be in the midst of the church and to be out there in the future. And again, behold, I and the, I and the children whom God hath given me, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. He's a partaker, and what's he trying to destroy? Death, the devil. Verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bond. What does man fear? Death. What did, the fa- what did the son fear? What did he have to learn obedience to? Death. But what did the father say? What was part of the program? What was part of the plan? If you go and die... I'll resurrect you. You see, he had to, all their life, verse 15, all their lifetime subject to the fear, the bondage of death. And Jesus Christ and his work at Calvary fixed his people freed his people. He came to save Israel, didn't he? Romans 9, all Matthew. He freed them from the fear and the terror of death. He gave them a hope of resurrection. See? And you know what Paul says? But now... That righteousness, that faithfulness without the deeds of the law, without the law, is now made available to everybody. His faithfulness not only secured the guarantee for the believing Israel, but it also guaranteed for the believing Gentile as well. What guarantee do you and I have that God will raise us up? The same guarantee the son had when he talked to the father about it. The father explained it to him when he raised him up because he says, you know what I'm going to do? Those that believe in you, I'm going to put them in you, in him. Fascinating over there Roman at the end of Romans, and Paul says, talking about the circumcision believers, that they were in Christ before him. And everybody has a cow. Oh, look, the body of Christ started way back there. Oh, pfft, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Because you're either in where? Adam or you're in Christ. And if you're in the Nation of Israel's program and you believed in, that Christ was the Messiah and he was who he said he was, you know what you did? You moved from in Adam to who? In Christ. 
In John, he'll look at his disciples and he'll say, I'm in you and you're in me and we're all in the Father. Woo. Ephesians 1, for you and me, he sealed us with who? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of what? Promise. The earnest expectation, the earnest down payment of that day of redemption coming. What guarantee? Why? Because, come back to John 5, what did Jesus Christ do? In a free and act of his own will, his own volition, his own choosing, chose to go and live and, and do the word, the word and the will of the Father was to him. What faithfulness. He had to go, and we're not, we don't have the time. You can run back to Psalm 16. You can go to Psalms 40. You can go to Psalm 69, Isaiah 53. You can go all back through those Old Testament where he, Psalms 22, Psalms 20, all that where he talks about what it was when he was thinking when he was on Calvary and about going down in the miry pit and going down into, the, into, the, in, into hell and, and Abraham's bosom side, but going down into death. And he says, I trust my Lord. Psalm says. And everybody goes, oh, that's David writing. Not when you run the verses into the Gospels and they say he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to trust. I got faith in my Father to do what he said he's going to do. What faithful. You and I, we don't do that. <laughs> we don't have faith in the will of the Father. Because some of, some of us this morning struggled to get up when the alarm clock went off. I'm guilty. I don't know about any of you, but, you know. Why? Well, because the air conditioner was blowing just right, and the ceiling fan was moving, moving it just right, and it was nice. <laughs> you know, I was like, ooh. <laughs> and the alarm, Linda goes, you got to get up. I go, no, I don't. <laughs> that, nothing's going to start till I get there. <laughs> you know, no, you got to get up. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> but I got up. Look at John 5. Look at what the Lord says about all of this. I, it's fascinating to me what the Lord says about himself. Look at John 5, verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said. Now he's been dealing with the Jews and so forth down. And, and uh, verse 18, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal to God, with God. <laughs> Look, what is, who does Jesus think he is? He thinks he's equal with who? The father, doesn't he? A wonderful statement in verse 18. So, you know, but, but now notice verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself. Wait a minute. Lord, what do you mean you can't do nothing of yourself? Aren't you God? You just said you were. But now keep reading. But what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Isn't that interesting? The, he just got done saying, I, the Father and I are equal. And then he says, but you know what I've chosen to do? Not my will, but his will. I've chosen to come and to be a part of the program. I've come to delight in what my father delights in doing, the issue of sonship. And I'm going to go do that without him really even asking me. But verse, 9, verse 30, by the way, in verse 29, 
Verse 28, the graves will hear his voice, and then you've got resurrection issues. Verse 30, I can of my own self do nothing. Wait a minute, you're deity. But as humanity, see, he says, I, I'm not here to do what I want to do. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Now, if that isn't any clearer, I don't know what. A, listen, folks, people argue about this stuff all day long about God, Christ did this and he did that and blah, blah, blah. And when did he know this stuff? You know what he says? I'm not worried about that over there. I'm worried about right now doing what the Father tells me to do. Chapter 7, verse 16. Chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. Woo. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Isn't that interesting? He says, listen, guys, the doctrine that I'm teaching you guys isn't of mine. And by the way, if you're believing the doctrine that I'm telling you, you would know that it wasn't mine, that it was of the Father, someone else. By the way, would their doctrines have been the same? Ultimately, yes. Why? Because he's doing what? It's not mine, it's him that sent me. Chapter 8 of John. It's just a few verses here about the Lord about himself in this. You see, folks, when the Lord came, and when Paul brings up the faith of Jesus Christ, he's not talking about something willy-nilly over here that was some mystical thing. He's talking about the, the Son making a choice of his own will. He made himself of no reputation. He did this. He came along and said, this is what the Father's doing, and we're going to do this. Isn't that, that's wonderful. John 8, verse 26. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then Jesus said unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath, interesting word, taught me taught, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Isn't that fascinating? Come over to Matthew, well, Mark 14. Mark 14. You see, folks, the Lord Jesus Christ, by his own testimony, says, I came to obey and to do and to have faith in the will and the word and the plan and the purpose of the Father. Right here, right now. 
Mark 14, verse 34. 14, 34. And saith unto them, uh, he's talking to Peter and James and John there in verse 33. My, isn't that interesting, soul. Do you mean God had a soul? He does. He has a spirit. He had a body. Is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. What's he worried about? Death, <laughs> isn't he? Verse 35. 35, he goes up into the garden. Verse 36, well, they're in the garden. And he said, Abba, Father. By the way, you and I can claim that claim because of who we are in Christ. That's a claim of sonship. Claim of an adult. All these things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. What the cup? The wrath of his, his indignation? The wrath on the second death? Revelation 14? You know, the other, other God? Matthew? But now watch what he says. Nevertheless, not what I will. What was the will of the Son? Take away the cup. But what thou wilt. Matthew 26. They're in the garden. He, the cross is right there. They're just hours away from going to Calvary. And you know what he, Matthew 26. And you know what he says? My will is I don't go do this. <laughs> but you know what? We're not doing my will, Lord. Father, we're doing your will. Matthew 26. Look, if you will, at verse 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That cup. Now run your eyes across the page to verse 53. Because we've had the betrayal and the arrest. He's been praying in the garden. Okay? Actually, there. Verse 53, thinkest thou, now he, again, he's talking here to, um, oh, he's in with the chief priest and the elders. Back up in verse 47, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? Could he not have done that? But what did he just got done praying? Not my will, but thy will, isn't it? Okay? He's just said, Lord, Father, if there's a way, let this cup pass by. Could he pray and call 10,000 angels, as the song says? 12 legions is a little more than that. Okay? Could he have done that? Yeah. But then he says, not my will, your will. What was the Father's will? How about a little education? Because look at the next verse, 54. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? You see, when the son, when Jesus Christ looked at those chief priests and those elders down there, he said, listen, guys, I can call and the Father will deliver me, but it's not his will to deliver me because I know that the scriptures have to be fulfilled. And who else is there to do it? You can't do it. 
Come back over to Galatians 2. Galatians 2. So when we talk about the faith of, when Paul brings up the faith of Jesus Christ, that's a critical thing to understand. And by the way, we're just skinning the, we're just skinning the cat right now. We're just skinning the, we don't skin cats. I'm sorry, Internet. We're just, we're just skimming, not skinning, skimming. Thank you. Uh, all right, we'll get the tongue tied up this morning. We're just skimming the treetops, okay? Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That great identity of Romans 6, crucified with Christ, Romans 6, not I, Romans 7, life now, Romans 8, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live right now in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're, we are to live life in the same manner as he did. Come back with me to 2 Corinthians 5. We are to have his thinking. We are to have the mind of Christ be in us. 2 Corinthians 5. We are to live in total and complete dependency upon the word of God to us today. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died from them and rose again. How are we supposed to live? Same manner that he did. So you go and you study. That's why we studied the Gospels on Wednesday night. And you look at his earthly ministry and his life. And you know what he did? He ate dinner. He slept. He got exhausted. He got frustrated with people. He looks at, go back to Romans 3. He looks at Peter and there in Matthew and he says, Oh, you, not oh, you of little, well, he does call him oh, you of little faith. But he looks at Peter and says, Don't you understand this yet? <laughs> you know? Now, he does it without the sin condoning issue. You know what he experienced? He experienced your second death. He went and died for you. And his death has become our death because of he loved us and gave himself for us. He's not playing games. He has complete He has completely identified himself with Every human emotion, the human psyche, the human thinking, the human nature, yet he you know what he says, not I, but your will. I won't, do, he did it without sin. So when you come back into Romans 3 here, Jesus, in the faith of Jesus Christ, he's the one who had faith in what the will and the plan of his father was. And the father had a plan that he called redemption. The mission of redemption. And in him doing and him saying there in the garden, not my will but thy will, you know what his, the, his mission for it was, was to drink of that cup. His own will was not to drink 
but the, yeah, I'll pass. But the Father's will was to what was to be accomplished. So he drank it, and he did it for everyone. He was faithful. You know, you and I, man would never have been able to do that. He did it because it was the Father's will and that word of resurrection was there as well. The hope of resurrection, he did it. So now when we move into verse 24 and 25 and we begin to look at the mechanics, the reason how Jesus Christ can be our propitiation is based upon his faithfulness. No one else's. And our redemption hinges on his faithfulness, not ours. It's his faith. And that is so, such wonderful news because we blow it. You know? Okay? We'll pick up verse 24 next time. Time's up. And we'll move. We'll, we'll, I told you we're going to go slow through these verses because there's so much going on in them, okay? For all of sin... And come short of the glory of God. Now next week we'll look at verse 24 and we'll we're going to look at each word in verse 24, 25 and get them nailed down, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your son, for everything that he's given to us and done for us. In your name we pray, amen.